listener production. It might feel strange to say it aloud, but I suspect you'd like a little more money, right? Don't feel bad. Money is great. You can do all sorts of good things with it. But money doesn't just fall out of the sky. You have to earn it. And there are a whole lot of ways to do that. Property prices across the country have increased for a sixth a month. I recently inherited a great sum of money. He walked out of the Nugget Casino a millionaire. But for most of us, we get our money from the daily grind. The nine to five. I earned almost $40 an hour driving Uber. So you're really ready for that promotion and the raise that goes with it. I think it's time to flip the script. And instead of working, working, working for your money, why not make your money work for you? That's exactly what we're here to do. This podcast is all about helping you become an informed and confident share market investor. And along the way, we'll hear from some of the best in the game to take you from investment zero to investment, well, to someone who knows how to invest pretty well. But we'll get to that soon. To begin, we're headed to a genuinely magical place. A place where money actually might grow on trees. A place where you plant a seed, give it plenty of sunlight and water, and your dollars multiply before your very eyes under skies full of clouds and rainbows. Let me introduce you to the share market. Look, you're right to be sceptical. I just promised you the equivalent of a fairy tale with a bonus set of steak knives. And we all know that the share market isn't some mythical place with clouds and rainbows. Hello? A disclaimer, really? Honestly? The share market is not a magical place with money trees growing under clouds and rainbows. Comsec takes no responsibility for anyone who mistakes the share market for a magical money land. Please do not try to find the magical money land. There is no magical money land. Magic aside, the share market is a place worthy of exploration. And with the right attitude, some useful information and a bit of hard work, it's a smart place to begin your investment journey. I'm Jamila Risby. I'm an author, podcaster, and business leader. I'm also a rare person who truly loves every aspect of their job. While I wouldn't change anything about the way I work, I would absolutely change how much I earn in in an upwards direction. To me, money equals freedom and independence. It's the means by which I can care for those I love and do more of the things I love. So in a way, the old saying, money can't buy buy happiness. happiness. Well, I don't think it's quite that simple. Happiness is, I suspect, more complicated than my pay grade entitles me to speak about. And I doubt money can actually buy it. But what I can say with confidence is that we all want to be financially secure. It's pretty tough being happy when you don't have the peace of mind that security brings, which brings me back to the share market, something that both you and I are keen to know more about. Accessing the share market begins with an investment. Investing simply means allocating resources to something today in order to achieve a benefit in the future. Without even thinking about it, you actually do invest every day. Even if you've never parted with a single cent of your salary, you invest your emotions in other people. It's what the romantics call love. I love you. I want to tell you I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Mind you, that investment can sometimes give you pretty poor returns. My dates took me out. She's divorcing me. <laughs> your time is another form of investment. 
We invest time in projects or passions or education or work. And of course, money can be invested too. The nine stocks I'm buying in September. How much gold and silver should I buy? Last year, I bought my first three rental properties ever. The goal of an investment is to achieve a return. You want the money you invest now to come back to you in the form of a greater value down the track. Most people are familiar with this concept, and it certainly isn't new. Historical records trace investing right back to 1700 BCE, where texts show, um, wrong kind of texts. That's better. People would pledge land in return for a financial stake in various projects. I, Marduk of the Elamite Empire, do pledge my five acres of land in return for 10% of your crop harvest of wheat. Something tells me that's not an entirely accurate historical representation, but let's roll with it. Even back in 1700 BCE, people wanted to grow their wealth and they were willing to take educated risks with their own resources to see a potential payoff. And so, for a few thousand years after that, human beings traded and they invested. Money was gained and money was lost too. Oh, Marduk, are those locusts? Sorry, Marduk, your crops didn't do so well. I'm ruined! Then, in 1602, yeah, we've fast-forwarded through a bunch of important historical stuff, something big happened. Historians, economists and business experts have speculated about the value of this company at the peak of its power. It could have been worth $7.9 trillion US dollars. That company was the Dutch East India Company. They brought spices to Europe and were the first business to link the East and the West. Our globe's first multinational corporation. In its day, it was worth more than Apple and Microsoft combined. It also became the first example of an IPO, an initial public offering, when the Dutch government offered the public an opportunity to buy shares. Cool piece of history, Jam, but why would a company want to give up thousands of tiny shares to random members of the public? So there are a couple of reasons why an organisation would list on a stock exchange or go public. That's Tom Petrovsky, one of our share market gurus from the team at Comsec, who are our resident experts for this podcast. There's also Laura Bezzarati. Hi. Stephen Daglian. Howdy. Ryan Felsman. G'day. And Craig James. Hello. Their conversations normally sound like this. A bunch of US Federal Reserve officials speaking, a tightening of financial conditions. Some of the other job figures that we got this week. China is still dragging its feet. But they've promised to keep it simple for this podcast. Now, back to Tom and the whole public company thing. When you issue shares to the public, there can be quite a lot of shares. And, you know, in a nutshell, one of the primary reasons that companies list on a stock exchange is so they can give themselves a toolkit for growing a little faster than what they might otherwise. The money the public invests when shares are bought can be reinvested back into the business for things like research and development or better quality products or higher skilled staff, all in the pursuit of growth. Let's head back to 1602 for a moment. The fabulous idea of making the Dutch East India Company public admittedly came with some challenges. How would they keep track of who bought the shares and who sold them? We couldn't risk just anyone claiming they own 50% of the company. 
And so it was decided that there would be a central place for trading to happen. It was called the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, the world's first stock exchange. This was where people would meet to buy and sell shares in the Dutch East India Company, and shares were issued as a piece of paper. But today, with over 60 major share exchanges, it's mostly done online. But why are there so many exchanges? And why do some countries only have one exchange while others have multiple? Generally, a market can only support a certain number of exchanges. It's like having a service station, right? You're not going to be able to open a service station if you've only got a couple of cars in town, right? They'll have to go to the next big town to to fill up. So if you've got many cars in your town, then you'll be able to have a couple of petrol stations. Similar idea where stock exchanges are concerned. If there is a need or a specialisation that a stock exchange can fulfil, there'll be a couple of them. We have a couple of stock exchanges in Australia. And, you know, that's probably about the right amount for a market like the Australian market. The best news of today so far is that you don't need to learn about all of these stock exchanges. For now, let's just focus on a couple. And we'll start at home. For example, here in Australia, most well-known stock exchange will be the ASX. So generally people will be aware of that. But if we look at it in the broader scheme of things, the Australian share market is actually quite small the New York Stock Exchange actually makes up more than half of the world's stock market. So if you want to invest in something like a a global company like Apple, I mean, you don't have that opportunity if you just seclude yourself to your own home ground here in Australia. So if you look broader, you can invest in those bigger, more well-known companies. And I I guess that's why something like the New York Stock Exchange would be more well-known because we have those more well-known companies trading on that. Although the decision of which company on which exchange in which country might seem a little bit daunting, trust me, you can do it. Take it from Hayley, one of the many everyday investors you'll hear from in this podcast. I first started investing when I was about 22 years old. I started with the ASX because it was the app that an ex of mine was using. I actually left that relationship and so I had no option but to figure out how to invest in the ASX. So I would watch YouTube videos or tutorials or ask people for help. Yep, the modern day investor has it pretty good. Thanks to Google and YouTube and this excellent podcast, information about investing is accessible and understandable. It's no longer the sole domain of business types and the smartest kid from your year 12 maths class. You also have access to real-time share prices and information about what impacts them. And all that information can be accessed from the little screen that you took from your pocket while sitting on the couch. Imagine what it was like before computers. Well, it was something like this. I didn't know much at all. It was just a whim. And I just said to a couple of friends, how about we look into buying a stock on the stock market? I think that was probably about 1966, 1967. That's Nora. And for the past 56 years, yes, that's right, 56 years, Nora has been squirrelling her money away on the share market after gaining an interest through her work as a share broker. Well, it was all very paper-based. You would buy your shares, and but you have to look for a stockbroker, so just look up the um, yellow pages, as it was then, and uh, rang them and put the order on. It was very tedious. There was a computer 
but it was huge. It was almost as big as a basketball court. It was very tedious. We were there sometimes till 11 o'clock at night, putting all these transactions through because of the slowness of that computer. So different to today. Nora made it work with paper and elbow grease in 1966, so I am sure you can make it in the 2020s with the ease of technology at your fingertips. All right, let's get to the good stuff. How do you actually make money on the share market? Let's go for a walk. You've probably been here before. It's your local farmer's market. The only difference is that at this market, instead of buying organic apples, you can buy a percentage of the apple stall itself. Take a deep breath and smell the entrepreneurship. Each of these stalls is akin to a business on the share market. And that particular apple stall over there has a good spot on the strip with heaps of foot traffic and lots of sunshine. It's been pretty busy lately and those apples are mighty tasty. Just the right amount of crunch and no bruises. The woman who owns the stall has been selling shares in her business. She's on the up and she has one share left. Or at least she did until you bought it for $10. Well done. I'm actually quite proud of you. $10 of Apple Stall shares and it's only the first episode. But don't get too excited just yet. Remember that share prices don't only rise, they can also fall. If there is no rain for two months and the apple lady's profits dry up quicker than the soil, you're in trouble. No apples equals no sales, which equals low investor interest and an even lower share price. So you decide to play it safe and sell your share for $20. That's a sweet $10 ROI right there. By the way, that stands for return on investment. ROI is the money you gain, or don't gain, compared to your original investment. And so that's the name of the game. Buy a share when the price is low, sell it when the price is high, and pocket the difference. How do you like them apples? Sadly, that's not all there is to it. There is more to learn, and there is an art to predicting how a share price might move and numerous factors that influence those movements. Some of those movements make sense. Oil at another multi-year high today as the conflict turns uglier in Ukraine. U.S. stocks were lower. Oil up about three and a half percent. And some of them not so much. Like in 2012, when the share price of a semiconductor company jumped 800% following the release of the club banger Gangnam Style. But what caused the jump? The stock price of DI Corp took off in tandem with the CEO's son, simply because his video went viral and investors got excited. While all these different events are impacting the share market, traders all over the world are making predictions about whether a share price will go up or down as a result. And every time a share is bought or sold, someone's prediction is right and someone else is wrong. And their predictions come down to one thing, what they perceive the future value of a share will be based on the knowledge they have right now. Let's go back to the market for a second. Let's imagine that I have an orange juice stand. I've had to buy the oranges, the glasses, the juicer. I can count up all of the things that I've had to buy to make the orange juice. That's all measurable. But the perception of all of those things as time changes shifts as well. No one knows what is going to happen in a month's time. 
I might not be able to buy the oranges that I bought today for the same price. I might not be able to get the table to, to juice them on and my juicer might cost more. So it's perceptions about the value of all of those inputs in the future that can change the understanding of what is valuable today. Let's imagine that there has been no rain in Brazil for weeks. And this is where Tom gets his gloriously juicy oranges. Tom's investors are watching the weather reports and the predictions in Brazil, and they start to get nervous. They worry it could impact the quality and the quantity of Tom's oranges. They worry even more this might be the beginning of a Brazilian-wide drought. And most of all, they worry his share price could drop as a result. Here is what something like this could look like in the real world. Lawsuits against Volkswagen are beginning to flood in following accusations that the carmaker cheated on car engine emissions tests. The German manufacturer has seen its stock plunge over the last few days. Some investors watch the weather and the news and study the market for tiny shifts and signals. They make trading decisions every day, lots of them, based on what they think might happen in the future. It's called day trading. And if you know what you're doing and you've got rather a lot of time on your hands, you can make money from watching and investing based on these daily fluctuations. But most of us don't have that kind of time or that kind of knowledge. I guess the main risk with day trading is that you are open to volatility at that particular point in time or on on that particular day. So if there is something happening, you know, in the global economy, that will generally impact what we see in the share market. And, you know, if it's something that's not positive, it could see that day trading behaviour actually go sideways. And unfortunately, you won't be able to make that quick buck because, you know, something in the broader ecosystem isn't quite going to plan. So you need to be on top of all the market movements all day long. Things can change very, very quickly. Day trading is hard work, but we've got you covered with something a little more achievable. This podcast is all about the long term, investing in solid companies that could keep growing for years to come. That's what you're buying as a business. You're not buying a stock. You're buying a piece of a whole bunch of businesses Are those businesses going to be worth more 10 or 20 or 30 years from now? Of course they are. If you don't know who Warren Buffett is, he's a pretty big name in the investing world. He's also worth $117 billion, so he's got some street cred. But if you want some proof from someone a little closer to home and a little closer to the life most of us lead, here is long-term investor Nora. I decided that I could probably do better doing the trading myself. So I set up my self-managed super fund. So I was um, buying some of the banks, the ANZ, Westpac and NAB. And then after they paid their dividend, I would sell those and buy into CBA, which paid a dividend on the alternate payment date. So you're getting a quarterly dividend. That was ideal for the income I required. There will be more detail on dividends later on. But for now, think of it as another way to make money from buying shares. A dividend is basically a little thank you from the company for investing in their shares. So if you compare it to a bank account, for example, you put money in a bank account, you're earning interest on that. They give you a little bit of money back every month. 
It's a similar thing with dividends. I guess the incentive for for companies to provide that dividend is because if you think they're going to keep paying you dividend, you might keep holding a share in that company. Some companies pay dividends on shares and some don't, and some only occasionally. They're not guaranteed. Nora paid attention to which companies were more likely to pay dividends, and that has helped her live a life she loves. And now she is jet-setting the world. I'm retired. I retired in March after many years in the stockbroking industry. I have been overseas to America and back, went to Washington and New York. I've been there before, but that was also very exciting again. I've already booked another trip to go to California in October and Japan in November. Regardless of whether your investing strategy ends up being about dividends or growth, time and patience are key. To start long-term investing, you don't need to be a news junkie or know what the weather is in the avocado region of Mexico today. You can take your time and dip your toes in before you've fully learnt to swim. When I made my first investment, I knew nothing about investing. I actually found investing quite complicated. So I would panic when I would lose money and it would be going down by hundreds of dollars. I had no idea even what an ETF was, let alone what the ASX was. And now I'm super comfortable trading on the ASX and I know exactly what an ETF is. If I could go back to my younger self, when I was making that first investment, I would tell her to not panic and to not check my listings every single day because it's going to go in the red and don't take my money out. Hayley didn't have a lot of knowledge when she got started, but now she's all over it. And by listening to this podcast, you've taken the first step as well. You know what a share market is, why companies go public, and how you can make money by investing. But there is one last thing to cover off. Have you ever heard of an index? The S&P 500 raised gains. The gold sector up 1.2%. The A6200 still above 7,000 points. Listen closely, because an index is a brilliant tool for the new investor. An index is a really useful way to basically understand what direction a particular group of shares is going in. So, for example, here in Australia, one that we look at very closely is the ASX 200 index. This essentially is a grouping of the top 200 companies listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. At its simplest, an index gives the average person the ability to compare the value of a bunch of stocks today as to where they might have been yesterday, six months ago, five years ago, or 20 years ago. It gives you a sense of how things have changed over time. It's as simple as that. It can help to think of an index as a specific area within your local farmer's market. You will have noticed that at some markets, similar products are grouped together. All of the meat and fish on one side, vegetables on the other, and then the baked goods towards the back. Indexes arrange companies in a similar way. So if you are particularly interested in tech, then you can check out how a bunch of tech companies are doing using one neat list. So what you might look at here to give you an indication of what direction those technology stocks are going in 
you will look at the NASDAQ because this is basically an index that looks at how those big tech companies are going over on the New York Stock Exchange. There's an index out there for anyone, for anything. You can look at that index, see how it's performed and use that as a guide to make your investment decisions. You can access all of these indexes online and get real-time data on a company or sector's performance. For example, if you wanted to see how tech was doing in the United States, you can check out the NASDAQ. Easy. Hey, Alexa, how's the NASDAQ doing today? The NASDAQ is up 0.8%. Thank you. A pleasure. Or you can Google it as well. The internet has enabled ordinary people like you and me to access the world of investing. With apps and tutorials galore, there has been an explosion of not just investors, but of young investors. A recent ASX survey found that the number of Australian investors has risen 13% in three years, with over half of all Australians now holding investments outside of their super funds and homes. There are also more women investing than ever before, now holding 42% of investments. It's a far cry from the male-dominated stock floors of the past. There's always a girl at the booth taking the orders coming down through the phone and she'd hand all these orders to the chaps who were calling out transaction they wanted to complete. So we'd call out your order and somebody would um, meet it. It was crazy stuff. I don't know that there were a lot of women individually buying shares because at that time, particularly people my age, they were getting married and having children. I think a natural trader, a lot of what he learned adds to his knowledge. A woman can be in business and be driven. Investors are really trying to hitch their wagon to all things internet. The architecture of Wall Street as we know it is going to be blockchain. Today, investing has become accessible for almost anybody. You don't need to work in a bank or have some fancy computer the size of a basketball court. You just need to be willing to learn. I listen to so many podcasts. I read so many books. There's so much free knowledge out there. You don't need to pay really for anything in order to learn how to invest. Lucky for you, this podcast is free and it's designed to get you ready to invest within eight short episodes. And look at that. In half an hour, you've covered a bunch of the basics already. Stick around, though, because we're just getting started. Coming up on the next episode. If you hypothetically invest in the Aussie share market, say, over the last 10 years to September 30, you would have seen your return of about 7.6% annualised. We're looking at all the reasons you should start your investment journey yesterday. Because you never know what you may or may not need later on in life. You know, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I can't predict the future which is why I think it's so necessary to plan from a financial standpoint today. Stick with us and you never know. One day you might be Warren Buffett 2.0, except maybe not. But hopefully... Yeah, I said hopefully. Of course no one actually thinks they're going to be Warren Buffett 2.0. No, I didn't. I said one day... Comsec Invest, the share market simplified, is a listener production. Brought to you in partnership with Comsec. Hosted by me, Jamila Risby. Audio by Kelly Fulston. Executive producer is Todd Stevens. And producer is Thomas Thexton. This podcast is prepared, approved and distributed in Australia by Commonwealth Securities Limited, Comsec. 
The information and views expressed in it do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Consider the appropriateness of the information before acting and if necessary, seek appropriate professional advice. Opinions expressed to those of the individuals referenced and not Comsex. Listener.